What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Gonna do that over. And there he is. How are you, sir? It is uh, James Lowe, iHeartRadio. How are you today? I'm doing well, James. How are you? Pretty good, actually. Now, uh, now, Ken, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, first of all, before we get started uh, with the interview here. Can, can you give us some details about yourself? Well, one of the things that I tell everybody is, when I was in my first year of college, I won the lottery. But it wasn't that kind of lottery most people like to win. <laughs> okay. I'm one of the, tell us all about yeah, it. I'm one of I'm one of the last people in the country to be drafted into the military. Oh, my gosh. You talk about one of the things that you think is going to be one of the worst days of your life, and it actually turned out to be one of the best. Now, uh, this is absolutely amazing. Uh, You've got a great background here. Uh, Ken, take us through this experience here. You mentioned that it, uh, it it was one of the best. Tell us all about it. Well... You know, people were dying in the jungles of Vietnam, and so I don't ever remember my mom crying more than on the day that I got drafted. I was sure that was it. Uh, this kid was dying. So I went in, uh, had to go through the Army. Uh, that was the way the draft process worked, and I found out I didn't like their accommodations. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, they, 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 they dress different, do all that good kind of stuff. So I still had to do a military commitment, but I got out of the Army as soon as I could, and I went in the Air Force. And something no kid from the project thinks ever is going to happen, I got to fly, and it was phenomenal. Oh, I loved it. It was great. But I found out um, not too long into my flying career that uh, flying wasn't good for family. And so my wife and I decided I'd trade my flight suit for a business suit. So I went and ran medical centers because that's what my background and my education was. And I quickly found out that I sucked at this one minor role, this thing called leading. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. We've got a, a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast here on iHeartRadio, AMFM, 247.com. Tune in, iTunes, and a Radio Loyalty. And uh, a, a great, great guest with us today here on our broadcast. By the way, if you uh, missed our interview with uh, the fantastic... Uh, Arbor Creek, check out our website, jiggycheckwire.com, for more information. Now, uh, now, Ken, uh, you've got a book out there. Tell us all about it. Well, the book is called On Course, Become a Great Leader and Soar, and it's really based upon this epiphany that I had when I tried to figure out, so how do I become a better leader? Because uh, the people were telling me, yeah, you ain't doing so good, buddy. So I had this thought, this crazy thought one night, because I tried some books, courses, and workshops, and they all told me what a great leader should be, but none of them told me how to make that happen. So I had this crazy thought, and I said, I wonder, could there be something similar in what it takes to get an airplane or organization off the ground to its desired destination? I decided to test it out, and you know what? It worked. It worked really well. And so that was uh, the instigation of this model that I came up with, 
that connects the dynamics of flight to leading. And so that's what the book is really all about and the basis of that, introducing that model to others so that they can lead that much better than we do already. We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. Now, uh, what is uh, what do you want readers to take away from your writing? Well, I would hope they understand that, you know, because I've gone to so many conferences, and I know I talk to a lot of people, and they're so frustrated because they go and they hear these great ideas, but they don't know how to implement them. And so that's what I hope that they take away is that there really is a way to lead. There is a way. The, the how is out there, and that's what I really try to provide for people because I was so frustrated. I'm going to change that frustration. So I hope people will recognize that there's, it only takes a couple of things because a lot of people say, no, nah, I can't lead. I wasn't built to lead. Well, there are some people that have some natural characteristics that help them be better leaders. But there's a whole lot of people that I've seen that we've worked with that didn't start out thinking they could lead, and they do pretty darn well. And so I want them to understand, yeah, you can do it. There's only three questions you got to ask yourself. And if you ask yourself those three questions and come with yes, you can lead. So that's what I'd hope they take away. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. Now, not many people like to admit their failures. What made you realize you were once a bad boss? Well, I got this wake-up call slipped under my door one night, and it was this graphic that was uh, very interesting. If we ever get the chance, I'll show it to you. But it was very clear from this graphic what people thought of me as a leader, let me just tell you. And at the time, it was pretty disheartening. But now I can, I can sit back and chuckle because it really helped make that break for me because I didn't think I was a bad leader. I was actually getting decent results. What I didn't realize was I was having a negative impact on some decent folks. And so it was this, I was probably operating more under the old, should be relegated to the, uh, the rock pile of uh, dead issues. And that's this thing we call command and control style and leading. And I was telling people what to do. So they were waiting for me to tell them what to do. And then they'd only go so far. And they had, I found out they had so much more inside them that if I would just figure out how to do my job better, then they would do their job that much better too. So that's what I really try to help people do is recognize people have a lot of potential. Figure out how to let them unlock that, engage and optimize that potential. And it's amazing what you can do. You can really soar. We've got a uh, great guest with us today. Ken Pash joins us. The five myths of leadership is the topic today here on our broadcast. And as, despite a booming economy and investments in workplace culture, today's leaders are failing. Why is this, Ken? Well, there's an awful lot of reasons for it, James. It's one of the, like you talked about, the five myths. Um, we, we delved into it just a little bit a, a couple minutes ago, and that's this idea that leaders must be born, that you got to have the characteristics right out of the womb. Well, I got to tell you, I've had some people that I've worked with that have some really good skills, but they don't know really how to lead because most people come out of the womb thinking, well, how am I going to win? And what leaders have to do is figure out, well, we have to figure out how to help other people win too. It's got to be a we win kind of thing. So just because you're not born with some of the requisite skills that you think are absolutely necessary, you can figure out how to do it. So that's what we start with, is getting people to recognize, no, you can do it. Ken Pash with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, coast-to-coast, boulder-to-boulder on TuneIn, iTunes, and Radio Loyalty. Now, um, I was surprised to read that many leaders are uncomfortable with authority. Isn't this counterintuitive? You, you know, you'd think so, and I did too. I mean, I was thinking I was in that, put in that position, that first one. But here's the piece. They did not put me into that position because they measured my ability to lead. 
most people that get thrown into a position of leadership do something else really well. And the assumption is, well, they did that well. Of course they're going to be a great leader without any development or any idea of what that really means or the impact your your actions have on others. (laughs) And so the idea is we've got to recognize that when we get into some of those positions, we get really frustrated because we think, hey, I was doing really great at this. How come I'm not doing really great over here? And so that's what they get really frustrated, and they don't know how to make that uh, come about, you know, great leadership. And so they go back to the standard, which is exactly what I did early on. That was my big failure. And they've got to recognize, yeah, okay, it is frustrating, but don't go back to the old command and control style. Don't go back to the say as I do and, or, you know, do as I say, not say as I do, because that's often counterintuitive as well. But, yeah. So people do have this problem where they're not comfortable with it because they just don't know what it means. They just, you know, when we talk about it, one of the other myths that we were talking about a minute ago is I'm a leader because I'm in a leadership position. And so they assume everybody's just going to fall in line and and follow them. Well, unfortunately, to be a true leader, somebody that other people want to follow, yeah, you've got to be able to exhibit the characteristics that that position requires. Just because you were put there doesn't mean those people are going to follow you. So that's where that frustration comes from is because they've heard the what, they've seen the what, they just don't know how to make that happen. That's what we try to fix. Ken Pash with us today talking about the five myths of leadership. And he joins us today here on our big broadcast. Now, why is flying the perfect metaphor for leadership? Well, there are so many indications, and that's one of the things that we do with the model, because the model has seven steps to it. And so one of the things that I find when I'm going out there into organizations, and for many reasons, what's the first thing that you have to do? Well, the first thing we did before we even took off was we figured out where we were going to go. Effectively, we were beginning to point the airplane in the right direction. Now, is that true for almost every organization? Well, I would think so. And so that's one of the, the mindsets that we have to understand. The next thing is uh, my good friend Jim Collins, I don't mean to slam him, but he talks about getting the right people on the bus. Well, buses are two-dimensional. You know, you're either going to go left, you're going to go right, or you're going to go fast, or you're going to go slow, and that's it. Well, leading an organization is multidimensional, way past two, just like flying. And so you have to have these, one of the things a model does, it connects the what we call the coefficients of flight, big term. Just say it's the things that allow an airplane to get off the ground and stay in the air, just like an organization. You have to measure all these different things and figure out what's happening and what's going on. But once you get off the ground, one of the nice things is is that bird's eye view, as they call it, that once you are leading, like from the airplane reference, you get to see so much more because that vision is so important to a leader to figure out where where are we? Are we on course? And if not, what do we got to do to make those changes to get there? And so that's why I really love that model. And, um, you know, it just really works. It just fits. And there's other pieces to it as well. But hopefully that gives a, just a nutshell of why I think that's just that perfect metaphor. We've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast. And as a leadership, how do you, how do you know if you're off track? Are there warning signs? Oh, my gosh, yes, absolutely, because that's one of the other things that we try to help people understand is, you know, when you get into an airplane 
and some airplanes are a little daunting to some people if they ever get a chance to get up to the cockpit. But what is in that cockpit that's helping those pilots understand, are we doing well? But those gauges that help them determine different things like altitude and airspeed and attitude and all that great kind of stuff that helps you understand what you're doing. Well, leaders need to do the same kind of thing. So the warning signs, one of them that I ask people is to measure how well they're leading. If you were asked to resign from your position, what would the people who work with and for you do? Would they celebrate after you leave? (laughs) or would they fight to keep you? And most leaders really, when they get, you know, in their heart of hearts, like you said, they're not willing to typically admit it openly, but privately, most of them know whether or not they're doing a good job. Another way to ask that is to ask, okay, do I feel like I've got to do everything? Nobody around here is doing their job. They're not fulfilling their roles. And I got to, you know, if I don't do it, it doesn't get done. That's a key indicator. You're off course because you're not using the people or you didn't hire correctly or you didn't train and develop correctly or you haven't incentivized correctly or, and we could go on and on and on. But those are just two of the pieces why I believe that we absolutely have to have these gauges in place. These, I use aviation instruments in, in our model and as we're working with other leaders to help them figure out Am I on course? And if I'm not, what kind of things should I really take a look at to figure out how do I get back on course? So, yeah, there's a, there's a direct connection between flight and this issue of whether or not I'm on course. The five minutes of leadership today with Ken Pash. He joins us here in our big broadcast. And uh, you advocate for leaders and their teams to stop over-delivering. Doesn't this go against everything we've been taught about customer client relations? Well, you know, and sometimes people miss a key portion of that. What I recommend people not do is don't under, you know, people say we're going to under promise and over deliver because although if I'm doing that on my own, because if I'm just running my own business and I'm on my own and I, I think I can see how that strategy can work where you, you tell your clients you're going to do this and then you give them so much more. I can see the idea of how that works for somebody that's working for themselves. But when you're working in an organization, especially a fairly large organization, it is very difficult to communicate to your clients who you're trying to underpromise and overdeliver and not impact your staff. Because if you tell the staff, hey, this is the deal that we've negotiated with the client, most of the people on our staff are really astute. They understand where we are and what we're doing and how well we're doing. And when they see that you're not even going close to what they can do, they start getting an attitude that that's all you think of us, boss. That's all you think we can do. And so they start living up to that potential, (laughs) which is significantly lower than what they're really possible of accomplishing. Then you get to the other end because then you start over delivering. And then how do you over deliver? Well, you're starting to make the staff do more than you said in the contract. And then they start figuring out, wait a minute, how come I'm having to work overtime? Or how come I'm missing my kid's ball game? Or how come I'm working on Saturday when you told us that this was the contract that we had? And boy, you better make sure that you are incentivizing them appropriately based upon the work they do, not what's in that contract. I'm telling you, James, I have seen this 
so many times where it causes so many problems in organizations because the boss says, this is a great idea. And if it was just the boss, he or she would be correct. But when you have that whole crew of people that is working with you, you've got to ensure that they understand what it is that you're really trying to do. And if you don't take that time and you don't take that effort, you're going to blow it. Now, uh, tell us where we can pick up the book at and how we can find you online and social media and all that. Well, I, I appreciate that. They can go to my website. Your listeners can go to the website. It's www.keyvisions.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.